welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast once again. You've got Dude and Andy here talking about albums. How you doing, Andy? What's new in your world, brother? Hey, man. Doing pretty well. Uh, you know, just uh, celebrated Easter the other day, as in yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> We record the show a few days ahead of time, sir. Yeah, sometimes the time <laughs> warp the, joke. <laughs> the time warp is difficult to uh, to get your mind around. Sometimes, like we'll refer yeah. to a holiday as already happening, and then we'll refer to it as not having happened yet. So, bear with us. <laughs> <laughs> but no, doing well, man. Doing well. How you been? Great, great. Had a wonderful Easter Sunday, <laughs> which was yesterday. <laughs> Yeah, good. Uh, we've got uh, some interesting music to talk about today. We're doing uh, Fave 5 again, folks. Yeah, Fave 5, we go backwards, 5 to 1 of our five favorite records of a certain category. What did we do last time on this, this segment? Do you remember? So last time we did 1980, yeah? Right, yes, 1980, which, which was... Uh, Pretty interesting for me. That was a lot of new new material for me to cover there. But uh, this week on the show, in honor of Easter, take read this how you will. Uh, we're doing our best comeback albums back from the dead, you could say, or resurrection, if you want to put it that <laughs> way. Resurrected back to life. Yes, these are records from bands that are either took a long hiatus, presumed to be broken up. Or are returning back to an original sound that had brought them prominence earlier, or are just kind of back in the public eye again for for some reason. Is that a fair summary of uh, how he went about picking out these records? Sounds good to me, man. Shall we start okay. talking about them? Sure. All right, let's do it. All right, so these bands kind of, their candle started to flicker or was blown out completely. And I'm starting with one where it was a flickering flame. This is going to get real, yo. Number five. Okay, so this is U2, All That You Can't Leave Behind. Now, we did actually talk about U2 on the 1980 Fave Five with their very first full-length album. But this time, we're going to be talking about their 10th studio album that was released on October 30th of the year 2000. In the year 2000. Remember that? (laughs) Come on, Brian. Uh, Go look it up, people. It was hilarious before 2000 was real. Uh, It's about 49 minutes long. It's by U2, produced by Brian Eno and Daniel Lenoir and was released, as I said, October 30th on Island Records and Interscope in the U.S. And why this is a comeback, you ask? Because this album was seen as a return to the band's traditional sound after their more experimental records in the 90s, like, well, I guess to some extent, Octung Baby, but mostly Zuropa. Things started getting weird, and pop totally departed from their original sound. There was hardly any real instrument sounds, and it was very synthy and electronic-y and they were just experimenting but I don't think people liked it very much 
All they can't leave behind represented a return to that more mainstream sound. I guess in a lot of pressers at the time, they were saying that they were reapplying for the job of the best band in the world with that <laughs> album. So uh, let's get into it. Let's listen to Elevation. What do you think about this record? I mean, I'm not a huge U2 fan, but I definitely enjoy their music. And this is definitely the record I come back to the most. It has all the, the bigger hits on it, at least for my generation and probably the millennials that come after me. This is the record that really defined what, like, what U2 sounds like. You heard these songs like on commercials and in movies and it was everywhere for like those few years around the, the early 2000s there could not escape this record. So uh, I, I enjoy it. Man. It's, it's somehow get to that place where it's, it's very uplifting and very positive, you know, messages in their music, but it doesn't really come off as cheesy in this case, which is uh, not a small feat. So I, it's definitely enjoyable, man. And like I said, when I go back to listen to you too. This is probably the record I pick out. Oh, that's interesting. Cause I'd go back to Joshua Tree for sure. Yeah, well, you're back more in the '80s yeah. there, right? Where, yes. You know, they're classic material, but if that wasn't really part of of what I heard growing up because I was a little bit past that. So me, me, me. this is kind of like, you know, this is kind of like for my for my generation. This is the U2 record to go to listen to. So that's great because you know, for me, this was like I'd given up on them. I remember watching the uh, the premiere of Disco Tech from the Pop album premiere the video on mtv back in 97 a bunch of friends we all got together because zuropa was like weird but we figured they'd go back to being u2 and man they did not and i was just like i think maybe maybe i'm done with these guys for new music and this came out and i really liked it i mean it wasn't as good as some of the old stuff in my opinion but it was definitely more of a return to form with some of those elements, like that song that we played, Elevation. To me, that sounds a little bit Octung baby e uh, in its delivery. Hmm. Mm-hmm. All in all, great album, uplifting music, and you know, with Beautiful Day, Stuck in a Moment You Can't Get Out of, which was actually written for Michael Hutchins, who's a friend of Bono's, the lead singer of NXS. So that's what that song is actually supposed to be yeah, about. I didn't know that. Uh, Walk On, which was re- a really moving rendition of, of it, was done by you 2 at one of those 9-11 tribute telethons they had shortly after 9-11 happened. And they did that song, Walk On, very beautifully. And a lot of this music, this uplifting music, this album kind of came into play a year later when America was going through that tragedy. Mm-hmm. A positive, powerful message at a time when people needed it. The song New York was about living in New York City and the craziness and the fun of it. And it just happened to kind of hit that chord and and made me feel better during that uh, terrible time. And then they had a Super Bowl performance that February in 2002 that was pretty mind-blowing. So 
All that you can't leave behind. My number five resurrected U2 was back and they made a lot of people happy. And that's what music's all about, yo. Yeah. As uh you know, in hindsight, it was a pretty important record in terms of, of healing after after nine eleven and you know, this positive music like this is, is important to have, man. You gotta have something to fall back on to and it's a good record for sure, man. Definitely, uh, definitely recommended from both of us. Yep, go buy it. Number four. All right, coming at number four, we have electronic music artist Daft Punk and their 2013 studio album Random Access Memories. I think this is a record that nobody was really expecting when it came out. Um, Daft Punk, you know, best known for their kind of more accessible radio-friendly dance music in the late 90s and early 2000s. You know, the records uh, Homework and Discovery were packed with radio hits that remixed countless times. But after uh, Discovery in 2001, they they put out one record in 2005, uh, Human After All, but it wasn't very well received. And they started remixing some of their older work, so I, I'd kind of read them off as being, okay, that was kind of like a little shot in the pan there in the early 2000s, and that was really all Daft Punk was going to be. Um, they did end up doing the Tron, the Tron uh, Legacy soundtrack in 2011, which I thought was pretty good. But then out of nowhere, in 2013, they put out this Random Access Memories record, which was like a total flip on their sound. Approach to making music was kind of moved towards these uh, live instrument sound and brought in a whole bunch of collaborators Really interesting stuff, and just the record just blew up. Was, these songs are everywhere. So let's uh, let's jump in and we'll play. Uh, I think this is the opening cut here. Give life back to music. Yeah, so they really tapped into like that disco sound of the late seventies and eighties. Um, such a like a breath of fresh air in terms of where they were sonically before this record and where they are on this record. Those live instruments, the live band members playing. Man, it sounds so good when kinda of coupled with their robotic uh vocal samples there and and uh, their kind of general approach to music is much more, um, you know, ones and zeros, digital sounding, and got this nice, warm music behind them here. It's a nice combination, and man, I, I still really enjoy this record a lot. What, uh, what do you think about it, man? Is it uh, something, I know you probably heard some of these songs on the radio, at least, or in commercials at the time. Not in commercials or radio. I heard them because you made me listen to this album when it first came out. Um, back when we had, <laughs> when we were doing written reviews on the website oh, years wow. ago. Yeah. So I was familiar. I mean, I'm really moved by like when people have some sort of, uh, you know, physical issue, like the, the having a robot, living with a robot voice, but finding <laughs> a way to overcome that and perform, I just, it warms my heart. <laughs> 
So that's that's really <laughs> that's really special. I mean, it sounds mostly like actual music, so yeah. you know, I'll give it that. I, I this would be more enjoyable for pop fans. It has an 80s, 70s feel like you said. It's an entry point, I guess, for EDM frowners like myself. I forgot all about it, though, honestly, dude. I mean, it didn't make any impact on me. Besides, it was less annoying than most electronic music because it sounded like 70s and 80s music. So mm-hmm. it's, yeah, I mean, I don't know what they came back from, so I, I this is okay, would be my... <laughs> well, as someone who was really into electronic music in the early 2000s, yes. This was like a total breath of fresh air. It just it it's everything that electronic music wasn't in terms of having that dynamic range to the sound and you know just sounding like there was something real to it. Yes, um, was totally foreign in the in the genre. You know, like, like I mentioned, they brought in Pharrell for a few of these tracks, and as well as Julian Casablancas from The Strokes. They ended up winning Album of the Year in the Grammys that year for this record. So really uh, impressive, and I think it's a cool record. Uh, I still listen to it occasionally, and it really solidified, for me, Daft Punk being more than just, you know, studio DJs who could compose a nice record when given all the samples they needed. Um, They actually went in and kind of directed and wrote this music, then composed it all together, so... That's very impressive, and to know they have that range is pretty cool. So uh, yeah. definitely uh, check it out if you somehow you missed this um, back in 2013. Number three. It's Aerosmith with 1987's Permanent Vacation, 51 minutes long, produced by Bruce Fairburn, and uh, it's the ninth studio album by American rock band Aerosmith. It was on Geffen Records. It was their second album, actually, back with all the original members. Some of the members, Joe Perry had left, and I think Brad Wilk, or what, I forget his name, but members had left. They had drug issues, a lot of fighting, band turmoil, and they came back and recorded an album that didn't really do anything and was kind of boring, and then they, this was, this is considered their true comeback album because they made some changes. This was the first time they employed songwriters outside of the band instead of featuring songs just composed by Aerosmith. Uh, John Kalodner, their executive producer, pushed them to do that, and um, they got some other songwriters involved. And Done With Mirrors was the album before this, which sounded very 70s. This sounded very 80s, very now at the time, very pop metal uh, with songs like ragdoll angel dude looks like a lady they kind of reset who aerosmith was and i think Mm -hmm. a lot of that is uh due to the run dmc collaboration from a couple years before that so let's listen to a little uh you remember that one right the the collaboration on the walk this way oh yeah that was great yeah i mean i (laughs) love that song man i went and bought raisin hell because of that and aerosmith became cool again so let's check out dude looks like a lady
So, yeah. Dude looks like a lady. They are talking about themselves, right? I mean, this is... From what I read, this was about... It has something to do with Motley Crue, and they're hanging out with Vince Neil. Some people say it's about Vince Neil from Motley Crue because they looked like ladies because they had all that <laughs> ladies' makeup on. And then some okay. of it is maybe those guys were talking about some dudes that looked like chicks somewhere. You know, who knows? So what do, what do, what do you think about this record, man? You You down? Nah, you know, I got a soft spot for Aerosmith. And this this record has some of my favorite Aerosmith songs on it, so I do approve for sure. Um, I would say maybe not every track on here is great. There's a handful that I could probably skip. Tracks like Ragdoll is probably like my top five Aerosmith songs. Mm-hmm. There's a cool track halfway through, Hangman Jury. It's kind of like a cool little bluesy track. There's there's a lot of a lot of blues on here that's you wouldn't maybe expect so much from uh, Aerosmith, but uh yeah, dude, yeah, you know it it really got them back on course in terms of their career and, and their kind of persona in popular culture. I'd probably go with their next record, uh, Pump, as being probably my favorite Aerosmith record. Amen. But uh, this one this one's really good. Yeah, absolutely. I I totally agree with that. Yeah, uh, you know, Andy's right. It was a little uneven. The singles are strong. There was a funny little homage to Frank Zappa. Did you notice that? No. I, what song's that? And I, I have the vinyl copy with liner notes. And at one point in it, it says, very special thanks to you know families, yada, yada, yada. But then it says, um, in quotes, she was buns up and kneeling. <laughs> End quote, courtesy Frank Zappa, Dynamo Hum. And uh, in, okay. in the track, Girl Keeps Coming Apart, the last, the last bit of lyric is so. There she was, buns up and kneeling. I was wheeling and a dealing, my ace, yeah, so to speak. So, <laughs> I think it's really cool. They called it out in the liner notes that they that they cribbed a little bit of lyric that they liked. Stole that from Zappa. Yeah, That's so funny. I thought you'd like I've that, heard- man. <laughs> It is a very similar lyric to the Zappa lyric, but the way Steven Tyler delivers it is so different than the way Zappa delivers it. I never made the connection. That's so funny. I, I certainly <laughs> wouldn't have if they hadn't called it out in the thanks. So I thought that was pretty cool. Definitely, you know, try this album out for fun. Buy it if you love Aerosmith. I mean, as Andy said, Pump, I think, is a stronger album. I even think Get a Grip is is pretty strong. I really like Living on the Edge, but... There's so many ballads on Get a Grip. So this one is <laughs> yeah. definitely that first taste of what Aerosmith became in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, good choice. Number two. Going to number two, we got a little hippity to the hop with a tribe called Quest. We got it from here. Thank you for your service. Their 2016 six studio album after, I think it was 25 years between records. It's a tribe called Quest kind of i don't know in my opinion one of the, the top hip-hop groups that i'm aware of best known for their work in the in the early 90s uh east coast rappers there with q-tip and fife dog um they kind of came back kind of out of left field here they put out this record um they had done a couple performances together as a group for the first time in a long time a couple of years before this came out and had some good energy, so they decided to get together and they put out a double record, which turned out to actually be really, really good. Interesting side note, uh, the record ended up going number one, and 
the 25 years between this and their previous record is the longest gap for any hip-hop group ever to have between number one records, if that makes sense. <laughs> it does. That's a big gap, yo. <laughs> That's a big gap, and they still sounded great. Let's play uh, one cut from early on the record here. This is We the People. Gentrify here now, it's not a shithole. Trend set up, I know my shit's cold. And set up because I ain't so over there. All you black folks, you must go. Yeah, so I'll be honest, man. When I first heard this record was was coming out, I was super nervous because I kind of had the tribe held up on this uh, pedestal in my mind as being one of those untouchable hip-hop groups, and I was worried they were going to put out a trashy record that just sounded... It would knock them off the throne, but, uh, man, they came out. Q-Tip did a great job. He has a lot of the production work here and a lot of the emceeing duties... Fife Dog, who actually passed away while they were recording this record um, for some complications with his diabetes, unfortunately, um, does appear on the, on the record and sounds good where he is. But uh, you can tell Q-Tip really did a great job kind of finishing this record and getting it out there. And man, they deal with a lot of kind of political and social issues at the time, uh, just like they did back in the 90s, but, you know, with a much more modern spin on it. And the production sounds great. It sounds modern, but, you know, it's not like trap music or any of that crappy hip-hop that's coming out nowadays it's really just creative and inspiring and it was one of my favorite records of 2016 and i still still love it today in 2018 your thoughts my friend q-tip one of the best hip-hop performers ever i mean and you y'all know i'm not like a big hip-hop guy but i know the quality of his voice and his flow, and I have a lot of respect for their contribution as a group to music and, and creativity, especially on the 90, 1991 low end, the low end theory with mixing in jazz sounds and all that stuff. And this album doesn't disappoint in that, I mean, 25 year layoff and they still are creative. The beats are great interesting well-written lyrics good production and this matches their personality uh the personality is still there all those years later so um you know when it comes down to it even if you're not a big hip-hop person but you like the quality artistic something to say hip-hop definitely this is an album to try out their older stuff too but it's nice to listen to something with lyrics that are relevant to what's happening now instead of 25 years ago so <laughs> yeah yeah there's a lot of tracks on here dealing about the the current political state and uh yeah they have a lot they have definitely have perspective and it's well presented here so definitely give it give it a try or give it a buy number coming one. in at number one is nothing like what was number two it's johnny cash with the 1994 release american recordings 42 minutes long rick rubin the producer rick rubin known for his work with run dmc let's see who else slayer 
<laughs> red hot chili peppers, all sorts of stuff. This Slayers guy's most, to. yeah, this guy's definitely like metal and rap are the things that he had had worked on before this album, this country album by Johnny Cash. So at this point, Johnny Cash is a pretty old dude. This is his eighty first album. No shit. Oh my god. <laughs> so. <laughs> was he like 110 or something? Maybe? Damn, I I think he was like in his 80s when he passed a few years back or late 70s, yeah. but that's a lot of records. Andy, this is the first of like four or five of these American recordings. So yeah. why is this a comeback? It's a major resurgence for him. He had kind of, his music had sort of faded out in the 80s. You know, all, the way that country music was shaped at that point, there was a lot of background singers, a lot of fluff, a lot of twang, and he just wasn't, you know, down with that. So this was just Johnny and his guitar. Now, these songs weren't all written by Johnny Cash. A lot of them were written by other artists. Rick Rubin helped him pick the songs. It's stripped down. It's awesome. Let's listen to a song written by Glenn Danzig for this album called 13. Glenn Danzig, by the way, is the guy from the band Danzig. So he's kind of a dark dude. So uh, let's listen to 13. Got the number 13 tattooed on my neck. When the ink starts to itch, then the black will turn to red. I was born in the soul of misery. Never had me a name They just gave me the number When I was young Jeez. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. Yeah, this record I, is, is so dark, man. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, it's shit. dark like in a way where it's a real guy with a guitar so it doesn't sound as... It's not as... It's more forlorn in some ways, but in other ways it's more hopeful because... It's human. It's not monstrous. Okay. It's the right, monster okay. inside us. Yeah, isn't that one of the songs? Oh, the Beast in Me, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it uh, it is. It's really just him on guitar. There's really not much else in terms of music or, or production going on here. And I think that works, um, works in his favor. He sounds great. His voice is super smooth, velvety, I would say. I was, the thing I remember most about this record is, is the album cover, I think. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the big cash across the top, and then what looks like a sunny day, but it's kind of um, that sepia town, and then just like that big black figure with the big long coat. I just remember that from my childhood very clearly. Thinking like, who is this ominous figure? <laughs> like, this cash guy. Yeah, going back and listening to it nowadays... Um, it's definitely one of my favorites from this era of his career. As a, it's a good collection of songs. I didn't realize so many of them were not written by him. Um, it's probably about like more than half, I would say. Is that is that sound about right? Yeah, something like that. And a lot of the the American recordings were. So I mean, some of these were written for him, and some are covers. And as mm-hmm. the the other ones come on, we have more covers, some great covers, reinterpretations of songs on the American recordings you know, two, three, mm-hmm. four. So check those out as well. Yeah, man, this reintroduced Johnny Cash to new generations who dismissed him as some like old hokey country guy, you know, me included. When this came out, 
I mean, people were going nuts for this, at least in my circles. Like, oh my God. And this made me start to like country. I was always like country stinks. And then it started being country stinks, but I like Johnny Cash. And then country stinks, but I like Johnny Cash and and outlock stuff. And and then as time went on, my mind Uh, opened more and more. But it's because of the man in black. He kicked the damn door down and uh, (laughs) I thank him for it. Yeah, that's cool. We we found some good records here that really kind of brought this music to new generations here with yeah. uh, Aerosmith yeah, and Johnny Cash and and even Daft Punk to some degrees. Yes, kind of falls into that. Absolutely, they're all. I think we picked well. These are definitely people that were fading, and they found a way to to come back and affect more people and and get people to go listen to their old stuff too, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, so, these are, yeah, definitely. And these are good good records to jump off if you're not familiar with these artists, um, and then kind of dig back through their back catalog and see why they were popular in the first place. Absolutely. So buy this album. It's great. Yeah, it's it's a good one for sure. So that's the five, the Faye Five, as we like to call it. Faye Five comebacks from I don't know, the last twenty five years or so. What you're saying <laughs> <laughs> next week on the show we're gonna do another installment of our loosely connected uh segment we like to do where one of us picks a record another is charged with finding a record that is somehow connected to it and we talk about both it's pretty fun he's gonna hear the other guys squirm a little bit as he tries to to find a record that somehow is Related to the other one. So we're going to be talking about uh, concept records having to do with literature. Literature. That is literature. It's not just books, but real literature. That's true. So so that's going to be, uh, it'll be fun. Be sure to tune in next week for that one. But in the meantime, where can they get a hold of us? Well, y'all can follow us on Twitter. That's the one with the little birdie. Instagram. And symbol at Album Nerds. Subscribe, uh, subscribe to the show on the iTunes, Google Play, Music, Stitcher, Radio. And tell us your favorite albums over at albumnerds.com where you can find everything Album Nerds related. So uh, thank you for listening to the Album Nerds podcast. Please join us next time. It's gonna rock. Talk to you then. Thanks yeah. for everything. Thanks so much. So much enthusiasm. Woo! Enthusiasm is your department now. I'm leaving all this in the end. (laughs) Bye-bye, everybody. See you next week. Thanks for listening. And I mean it. He does. He does.